welcome to another episode of Value Nigeria podcast. My name is Ajibola, your regular host. On this podcast, we share the principles of personal finance and of wealth building with particular emphasis on value investing in the Nigerian market. Last week, we had a guest on the show and it was a lovely time. We had quite a blast talking about various things that pertain to investing in the Nigerian space. Thank you very much for listening to that episode. The the reception and the feedback that we've gotten has been quite encouraging. Along the lines of what we promised that in 2022, we hope to bring quite a lot of guests onto the podcast. And the aim of that is just so that you can get various perspectives and hear investment secrets or investment principles from others' perspective as well. So it just wouldn't be mine that you hear all the time. That way you can mix and match and pick whichever one that um, suits you the most. This week on the podcast, we have another guest. It promises to be a lovely time today. My guest today on the podcast is the Senior Vice President uh, at Cowrie Asset Management Limited. He is presently the head of upcountry branches. He has attended various local and international training courses, and um, his first degree is in computer science. His professional experience spans various organizations such as um, Computer Warehouse Group, ACB International Bank, Assurance Bank, Future View Financial Services, First City Monument Bank, just to mention but a few. Um, my guest is a chartered stockbroker, and he won the overall first prize award in the Institute of Chartered Stockbrokers exam in the September 2003 diet. He had the highest score in the entire country, which is quite commendable. You stand to gain quite a lot from my guest. He has in-depth knowledge of the equity market and the fixed income market, and we'll be exploring all that today on the podcast. My guest today is Mr. Okudili Egu. It's my hope that as you listen to this episode this week, you learn quite a few things and you put this to practice. And hopefully, the lessons learned here will bring you one step closer to fulfilling your financial goals and achieving wealth. So thank you very much for joining us on today's episode of the podcast. Um, It promises to be a very, very educative and informative episode. Just hang in there and follow the course of our conversation. I have today uh, Mr. Okudili Egu, who is the Senior Vice President uh, at um, Kauri Asset Management Company. He, he, believe me, just hang in and listen to the conversation. You are really, really in for a blast today. Um, Mr. Okudili, do you just want to introduce yourself to the, the listeners of the podcast today, sir? Oh, my name is Okudili Egu. Uh, like you said, I'm a Senior Vice President at Kauri Asset Management Limited. Um, I've been I've been with the firm for 14 years now. Um, before joining the firm, I, I did my educational um, discipline in computer science, and much later an MSc in finance. Um, I graduated in 1999. Um, I'm also a member of the Shutter Institute of Stockbrokers. I'm a fellow of the Shutter Institute of Stockbrokers. The Shutter of Stockbrokers is, is the professional body that regulates um, investment professionals um, in, in the capital market. You can't run a stockbroking firm or become an MD of a stockbroking firm without being a member of the 
member of the Shire of Stockbroker. So it is a firm that regulates the investment practice in Nigeria. Um, though we have other professional bodies that are all upcoming, but as it is today in the capital market space, the only professional body that has a national charter is the Shire of Stockbroker. All right. So thank you very much for that uh, succinct answer. And I, I believe that everybody's background, like something must have influenced us. Nobody was born with having investing and investing mindset. Most often, something must have happened at some point that, you know, opened your consciousness towards investment and towards, um, you know, finance. At what point would you say it got into your consciousness that I need to start saving, I need to start investing? What was that experience like? It was very accidental. Um, upon upon completion of my youth service, I got um, employed by a computer warehouse group, which is uh, the foremost IT firm. Now, in where I I was a technical person, I was a software engineer, and in the year two thousand, the the a banking application was being introduced newly into the into the Nigerian financial system. That banking application was Finaco from Infosys. Computer Warehouse was the, the, had the exclusive rights to implement and support that bank application on behalf of Infosys in Nigeria. So based on the agreement Infosys had with Computer Warehouse uh, and based upon signing the first batch of uh, our banking clients, which were uh, Standard Trust Bank then, uh, First Atlantic Bank, and Oshoni Bank, uh, we needed to raise a team uh, from Computer Warehouse alongside some team members, implementation team members from the banks to go to India and spend um, three months to learn about their software, to learn how to customize this and adapt it to the Nigerian environment. So I was assigned as the project manager for the Oshoni Bank implementation. So and I was working with a team of um, a team of about um, 13 senior staff, minimum uh, staff grade then from Oceanian Bank was a senior manager. So they are indeed senior staff and uh, decision takers in Oceanian Bank. And uh, that I was going to work with uh, to implement the Finaco in Oceanian Bank. So I was with this team in India. So we are all quartered in a particular hotel. And right there, one of the uh, folks from Oceanian Bank called Shire Dada, now, just saw me as a young person. I said, Okudili, why do you need um, to, to stay in one room all by yourself? Do you have any material plans? I said, no, I don't. And in fact, as a matter of fact, um, I would even like to save as much money as I, as I can. Because as I said, then I was just starting life and I had just been a year in employment. And my salary then was about 10,000 naira. You know, and I was giving um, an Esther code of about um, $500 per night. So you just told me, and the hotel bill was about $130 per night. He told me, instead of paying $130 per night, why not come and share a room with me and so we'll split the bill? I will take 60%, I will take, you, you will pay 40% so that I can encourage you. Of course, being bankers, they had a, they had a, a much higher Esther code than, than us from computer warehouse. So that's the first, first um, um, compelled saving I had from Shire Dada, who today I could call my mentor, you know, and he helped me to save 60% um, of my hotel costs 
all through the three months that we were in India. And when we were in India, typical of Nigerians, every day after the training, we all rush to the malls and buy all sorts. We'll buy books. Books are really very cheap in India. Buy books, buy apparels, buy the textile materials, buy all manner of things. Shia did not buy anything. Shia was not in that habit of going out every night with us to go and buy anything. Rather, he would stay and read and then buy um, magazines and newspapers and, and be, you know, uh, just engrossed in reading them. So at the point we are about to leave, despite the 60 kg or 70 kg cargo um, allowance or baggage allowance we had, most of us had personal luggages that weighed well over 300, 400 kg. We had to engage a cargo firm, a freight and forwarding firm in India to move most of our items to Nigeria. Shire's baggage or luggage was not up to 25 kg. If I assisted most of us in carrying some of our things. And when we got back to Nigeria, I became inquisitive and said as much as possible to stay close to him. And I, he just told me that most of, that's 80% or 70% of what he was giving, he brought back. And most of his team members knew almost everything. And he was going to change them into Naira and call his top broker to invest those proceeds in shares. It was when we got back in July 2020 that I heard the word stock broker for the first time, that I heard about the stock exchange for the first time, despite being a graduate. And I became curious. I asked him, what do they do? What happens? He now told me that it would be a long process, but rather we'll have mentoring sessions every Saturday and Sunday when we are less busy so that he can put me through from first principles. And I'm one who liked learning from first principles. So for more than a year, I consistently went to Shire's house every weekend to learn about finance, to learn about the act of investment. And he struck my interest. In fact, he gave me an assignment to read Frank Wood, an accounting textbook, book one and book two, so that the, the Mentoring sessions can be meaningful. I can, I can have a basic foundation to take off from what he'll be teaching me. The interest I got from that exercise picked up my interest to become an investment professional because I realized that amongst even people who call themselves financial professionals, amongst people who are very highly educated, that most people are not knowledgeable about finance and investment. You know, and... I decided to now enroll for the Shetai Institute of Stockbroking Exams in year 2002. And by 2004, I had passed all the required three stages of the exams. Um, in level two, I was the overall best student in the country. And in 2003, September 2003, diet. And I qualified as a stockbroker in 2004. And since then, I've been in the market. And I've had to, even while working in the bank, because eventually um, I, I had to um, transit from computer warehouse to work in about five banks. But while in the banks, I was a core IT staff. I was 
a core software engineer, was only in year 2008 that I took that decision to leave IT support, IT customization, software development to venture fully, fully into investment banking. And I decided to pitch my tent with a computer and career system management limited, where I was employed as assistant vice president. I've seen my career grow from assistant vice president to vice president to now senior vice president, which is the highest um, employee, employee position in the firm. I, I'm currently the divisional head um, in, in charge of IT um, and the, all the upcountry branches at the moment. That's my journey into the investment banking world. It's so amazing just to hear you recount that story. Um, the power of mentorship, very, very powerful, very, very strong. Um, thank you very much for sharing that um, that account with us. Um, now, you're, you're a stockbroker. You're not just a stockbroker. You're someone who is very, very vast and very, very deep into asset management and you know fin- investment management. Now, as stockbrokers, aside from just buying and selling of shares, what are the duties or what added advantages can individual investors gain from coming close to their stockbrokers or from you know g- getting the deeper relationship with their stockbrokers? Okay, one thing I will say is that it's not everybody who works in, in firms, in capital market firms, is a stockbroker. If somebody says he's a standard stockbroker, then that person is a full-fledged investment advisor, investment manager, investment analyst, and a securities trader. Now, we need to look at the curriculum, the professional curriculum to become a stockbroker. That curriculum, the core of that curriculum is on financial accounts and financial statement preparation and analysis. Now, to become a stockbroker, remember I'm coming from an IT background um, where it was more science-based. But transiting to become a stockbroker, that curriculum compelled us to do courses in economics because we have um, a a full-fledged course on economics with um, emphasis on microeconomics. Then on company law and law of contracts, law of thoughts, then executorship and wills. So estate preparation and law of estate, we all delved into it. Then the financial statement analysis, like I said, financial account and financial statement analysis, which is the core, is about three courses in it. Um, then portfolio management, securities uh, evaluation, securities valuations, respect to equities and fixed income. Um, marketing and business development. Now, so if you go through the courses that makes you to become a shelter stockbroker, you become a full-fledged professional that offers services in the investment space and in the capital market. We need to um, clearly advocate and let people know the difference between the money market and the capital market. The capital market is a market for capital formation. If you want to play in the capital market, which is the market for capital formation, either as the deficit units who always come and need capital and raise capital. So be you a corporate company who, is, who wants to raise capital. You need an issuing house. That issuing house functions 
most likely be provided by somebody who is a stockbroker. Now, if you now want to come to the surplus unit, you have surplus and you want to see what are the investment options that are available that will help me meet my long-term investment goals, you need to talk to a stockbroker. Because a stockbroker will take you through discovering yourself, doing a fixed profile, doing a profile of who you are, what age, what stage of your life are you in? Now, what do you like? What kind of risks can you take? What is your income pattern? What is your cash flow needs? What kind of dream lifestyles do you need? From the mathematics we have done, quantitative analysis that we have done, which is part of the curriculum, we could now say, okay, if you do this consistently over this time of time, using the time value of money computations, this is what you're likely to have in the future. So based on the, the expected lifestyle in the future, we can now design investment options that will be suitable for the clients. So what is key is that the client comes to you and has a plan and it has an investment objectives. You as a stockbroker is for you to now look at the investment options that will help that client meet their investment objectives. Depending on the preferences of the customer, those investment options could be fixed income securities only. It could be equities. It could be a combination of both maybe in the ratio of 60, 40, or 70, 30, depending. It could be to include some money market instruments into it for liquidity needs and for cash flow, uh, cash flow demands that might occur at any point in time. So you might introduce an emergency fund. So it could be to just help this person achieve a better financial health. So the role of, for me, a stockbroker is one who would help a client improve on his financial health. It is wrong to just be a stockbroker from the narrow mindset of being someone who goes to the floor to help you buy and sell shares. No, their job roles and the training they have acquired over the years prepares them to help you achieve your investment objectives. Um, so I've been underutilizing my stockbrokers and I, I definitely need to take up on a few things that you've, you've uh, mentioned. Um, now, mm. as a stockbroker, you deal with a lot of you know clients, corporate clients, foreign portfolio investors, the retail individual investors. Are there any particular mistakes or are there things that you see the retail individual investors that do, they are doing wrong with their investing that you hope to use this platform to correct? Yeah, particularly the Nigerian investor has this short-term horizon. They are very short-term um, minded. They are seeking for a return that will happen in months. They are seeking to um, quadruple their investments within a year or thereabouts, which is not sustainable. So I think our Nigerian investors need to first understand that to start benefiting from investment returns, it is a process that will take a minimum of about seven years for you to start seeing the effect of the compounding uh, uh, action on your returns. If you look at the life of Warren Buffett, well, Buffett was not known to the world until he was 63. Meanwhile, he started investing at year 13. I had invested consistently over the years until he, he, he let me use the Nigerian balance, he blew at year, year 63. Now, so investment is long-term. And one of the differentiating factors in the capital market that is the market for long-term securities. So investors, Nigerian investors, should stop this 
short-term views they have about the market. They should rather play long-term. They should rather be in the market for the long-term. Investments in the equities sector, for instance, have shown that in the long-term, you always win. So why are investors only thinking of uh, what they can make in three months, what they can make in six months? Why not think about 10 years? Why not think about 20 years? And I'll take you how a lot of people got um, shot themselves at the foot in recent times. Pre-2018, yields on treasury bills were as high as 18%. Effective yield at the point got up to, in 2016, effective yield got up to 81%. Now, we see, I saw a lot of retirees, a lot of investors, rather than buying long-term bonds, maybe 10 years bond, 20 years bond, 50 years bond, that we are paying almost equivalent of the same yield that the treasury bills, or even higher, that the treasury bills we are paying. They were bonds they were paying as high as 20, 21% yield as at 2016, 2017. Almost at 90% congregated and concentrated on treasury bills, max 365 days instruments. Now, 2019 happened. CBN came up with policies that limited non-bank financial institutions from participating in treasury bills, or, and also brought in what I term financial repression that forced banks to lend most of their loans because the banks were also making free money by investing the deposit they have with risk-free instruments with the federal government. When that policy came, rates on treasury bill crashed to 2%, 3%. Meanwhile, these were funds that retirees or investors did not need. They didn't need them at that point, they distance their maturing. And they had a problem. Where then do I place these funds in? They couldn't place them again in treasury bills. And for those who reinvested in treasury bills, they got max 3 4%. Meanwhile, those who had who had the knowledge or who had a long-term puncture are still enjoying the same yield today. Because it is yield to maturity that you bought. So you saw people who bought 10-year bonds in 2016. Today, they have five years to maturity. They are still enjoying six, um, 18 to 20% yield that they bought. So that scenario, that example that happened, I believe and I hope would have taught a lot of investors a lesson to look at more into the long term than short term. So Nigerians should do everything possible to see investments as a long-term gesture, long-term venture, rather than being short-term. That one mistake I see a lot of people do. The second mistake I see a lot of Nigerians do is um, they are easily swayed by the returns. And they are easily swayed by market noise, which is a volatility. This stock is now trading at this. this they do not pay attention to the fundamentals. Now, the fundamentals is the soul of investment. I, I, I'm not a chartist. I don't believe, I do not uh, propagate technical analysis and chart. Don't, I'm not saying it does not work. But I'm more of a fundamental, a fundamentalist when it comes to investing. So that makes me to pay attention to fundamentals. 
I draw from the strength from financial statement analysis to be able to infer which company is actually doing well. So it's important that they pay attention to the fundamentals and they invest in digesting quarterly returns that companies publish on quarterly basis. Now, every company that is quoted publishes their quarterly results. That quarterly result is important, not just for the equity, but also to appraise the company whenever they want to come and raise debt instruments from the market. So it's important that investors, retail investors, invest more in understanding the financial market, in understanding the instruments they buy into, in understanding the flow, and also in understanding the structures, who does what, what's the role of CSCS, what's the role of the Nigeria Stock Exchange, what's the role of SEC, what's the role of the registrars. You know, so if we have a more aware uh, retail base in Nigeria, I think the market will do a lot better for it. You've raised some very, very important issues. You've talked about, you know, the short-term thinking, the chase for yield that the retail investors, uh, you know, make mistakes with. And that brings me to the second, to this second follow-up question, which is that Nigerians seem to fancy a lot of these Ponzi schemes that give a lot of high yield in a very short time and, you know, deceives a lot of people, drags people away from the capital markets. What strategies or what can we put in place to make sure the youth in Nigeria get interested in proper investments in the capital market and not just Ponzi schemes? Okay, I think one of the uh, avenues to um, start addressing the the attractions of Nigerians to Ponzi scheme is what we're doing now. Um, a podcast of this nature would help in disseminating information uh, and um, demystifying and clearing some myths about the market. Um, I, I pray and hope that we'll have several fellows like you doing what you are doing in uh, advocating for financial literacy in the system. I can tell you we have a lot of um, financial literacy in the system. A lot of people are not aware financially. So when they become more aware financially, I, I, I think um, we can begin to call the attraction and the rush into Ponzi scheme. But I think there are also fundamental factors that is driving the vulnerability of Nigerian to Ponzi scheme. The economic hardship we have seen in the last six years has got a lot of households and families to a point of despair, a point of hopelessness. So they are just waiting for any source of information that can offer them some kind of hope. That's, I think, is the contributory factor. The level of opportunities available to the timid young ones to engage them meaningfully and productively is becoming very limited. And the high level of insecurity, the political uncertainty, and the, the um, economic, um, near economic crisis we are having with respect to the, the, the um, inflation rates, exchange value, and all that is limiting business expansion, is limiting the opportunities available for the teeming young Nigerians. So when Ponzi schemes and when FX trading and when cryptocurrency investments 
as high risks as they are, seems to offer them any become of hope. They seem to latch onto it. So I think we need to address the economic structure of the country. That's another point that could be contributing. The second point or the third point is that Nigeria is largely a society that is very gullible. We seem to believe any and everything, especially when it's coming off, coming from people in the public, or when it's associated with people with some religious backing. Now, if you look at most of the Ponzi schemes that has come and crashed, you can see that we are, the, the, a lot we are associated with some notable men of God or some notable men in public. So, and once any venture is associated with religion, people are no longer logical. People no longer are no longer critical. People no longer ask questions. So we need to have a system where people can become logical, can ask critical questions, can seek answers, and shouldn't take actions unless they are convinced that this is a logical thing to do. And I tell anybody I come across who asks me about investment option, and I tell them one caveat, that for any investment returns that promises you more than 2% per month, which translates to 24% per year, that you should look carefully that most times there's an underlying fraud, that such a return is not sustainable. A return of 3% per month translates to 36% per year per annum. That return is not sustainable. So when, when people now rush to a return scheme that is promising 15% per month, we just know that this is a disaster waiting to happen. So we need to address some of these factors and then help with advocacy, help with the uh, financial literacy, the awareness. That's the only way um, a lot of Nigerians can be saved from falling victims of the Ponzi schemes. One thing is clear, the promoters of the Ponzi schemes do not mean well. From the antecedents, what you have observed is that once they start these Ponzi schemes, they acquire a second passport, they move their families away to, to somewhere in, in, in to some safe heavens, they operate um, skeletal structures here, physical skeletal structures here, and once the bubble bursts, they are off. So from day one, the original intention behind those schemes was fraudulent. But I'm worried that Nigerians keep falling victim because these guys keep transforming from one form to the other. And every year we keep hearing stories of Ponzi schemes um, um, affecting Nigerians. But one is also surprised at the amount of money we hear individuals invest in these schemes. In a situation where one person is investing as much as 50 million naira in a Ponzi scheme. It calls to question what's happening. Note that the NDIC Act only guarantees you 500,000 naira. Even if you like have 1 billion in a bank, what NDIC will guarantee you is 500,000. The remaining balance they will pay upon recovery of the asset of the liquidated bank. 
It's not guaranteed. And NDIC assumes that once you have above 500,000 as a deposit in a bank, that you are an informed investor. I'm not sure a lot of Nigerians know this, that you are an informed investor. So I assume that anybody who is putting 15 million in the Ponzi scheme is an, is an informed investor. So if that person fully aware of the risks involved, it then means the person is just greedy. So are Nigerians greedy? Is greed a part of our culture? If it is, they will begin to address that also. So the Ponzi scheme is, 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 is really a not issues that all husbands be at death to see how you can address so that a lot of Nigerians who are vulnerable will stop falling victim. Thank you so much. Very, very detailed response. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for your kind words and compliments. Um, we're just doing our bit to disseminate um, financial education and financial knowledge. Moving on to core finance and core investment issues now. What are the telltale signs that a company is going to do well? You've talked about fundamental and using fundamental analysis. How can the retail individual or the retail investor decide on which company to buy? What are the key points or the positive things that we need to look out for in companies as we buy them? Okay, now, when, when you make investment, equity investment in a particular company, you are the purpose is that you are investing in a future higher benefit. That you are you are depriving yourself of a benefit today for some benefit in the future that will be higher than what you have gotten today. That's the essence of investment. So to a great extent, you must do an assessment to see whether that future will exist, whether that benefit in the future will be higher. Now, for the benefits to exist and be higher means that this company must continue to be in operation into the foreseeable future. And what will keep a company to be in operation is that this company is posting profits. When you post losses, you erode shareholders' funds and you erode capital to a point that you liquidate. But when you post profits, you either retain it within the system and expand, or you share it to the shareholders who will now become returns to them. Now, a company can only post profit when they have products, value, services that the public are willing to pay for and be satisfied paying for it. So they must be able to generate a lot of cash. So what you need to check out is this company I'm buying into, do they have a product? Do they have a value? Do they have a service that people are willing to pay for? If that service and that value is not there, do not buy. So if they have a product and value that they are, people are willing to pay for, the next question will be, in what market do they operate? Are they the dominant player in that market? Um, amongst, all the, amongst competition, what differentiates them? How are people willing to always patronize them? Let's take, for instance, why do people prefer a particular bank over the other bank? You know, so it is the patronage, it is the market that they control that will lead to higher profits. So you also need to confirm that this company has a market. 
The next is to seek what is the quality of management. Do you have a management, a management team that turns every one naira of capital into a 50 naira, or in every one naira into a 50 kobo, um, increase it and create a 50, a 50 kobo profit? Do you have a company that will turn every revenue, one naira revenue, and get after expenses, get at least 50, 40% net profit margin? So what is the management efficiency? What is the attitude of the management staff? What is their character? What's the character of the board? We've seen with what has happened in the first bank, we show that the board character is important. The character of the persons occupying positions in the board is also very important. Are they abusing the privileges they have? Are they ethical? If you have a firm that is not ethical, run by people who are not ethical, that company is unlikely to continue to be operational into the foreseeable future. We have seen how some unethical practices have created some firms to a point that it is, it is comatose. It's not living, it's not dead, and it's even somehow an auto, uh, auto support. So the, the quality of management is also very important. The third factor it also shows you what is, what is the capital base of the firm? If you do financial, you can say what is the leverage ratios of this firm? What's the debt equity ratio and all that? So are they highly leveraged? If they are highly leveraged, are they servicing that debt in well enough? Remember that why it is a large field in Nigeria was just a loan, mis a, a, a loan mismatch. They borrowed the USD against a revenue in Naira, and they were able, unable to meet their obligation to the consortium of banks that lent them the money to the point that they walked away and handed over the license to CBN and the banks. So a highly leveraged firm, you know, uh, what happened to Tisalat can also happen to them. Those are fundamental factors we need to pay attention to, the capital quality, the management quality, the product quality, the market, the industry they operate in, and the economy they also operate in. Now, the, 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 the economy, the Nigerian economy, can also affect the firms operating in Nigeria. Now, a simple issue as FS scarcity will affect the operating companies from assessing funds to import spare parts to maintain the machineries that will ensure that the production is optimal and the product is available. We have started seeing it happening already. Um, Nigeria is rationing effects because they don't have enough. We are almost in an economic crisis. And that is affecting some manufacturing companies. I'll give you an instance, the cement manufacturing companies. Now, almost all the cement companies are not producing at installed capacity. And that is leading to scarcity of cement in the polity. And we don't have an import policy on cement. 
So the little that they have or they're able to produce is crumpled for. And there's a mismatch between what is the X factory price and what is the market price of cement in the market. The X factory price of cement is 3,700, but what is being sold in the market is as high as 5,000 Naira in some markets. That increase in cement price is attributable to exchange restrictions, foreign exchange restrictions, because some of these companies are unable to assess effects um, demand as I'm going to to service their machineries and, and raw materials input. So the operating environment is also affects the company. So if Nigeria operating environment continues to worsen, the underlying companies that operate in Nigeria may also face very harsher conditions and that might affect their productivity and their returns to the shareholders. So these are the factors to consider when evaluating a company. It's really amazing and I'm, I'm really lost for words hearing you say all the things that you've said. Thank you very much. Very, very in-depth. I, I wish people can um, stick to all the, the advice you've given. But we'll just go on. Um, living equity, let's talk a little bit about um, fixed income securities as I know that's an area that you have some interest in as well. Um, so what are fixed income securities and... How are they different from equities? Okay. Now, an equity investment gives you a stake of ownership. In simple terms, when you buy shares, you automatically become a shareholder of that company. So you automatically become a part owner of that company. The, nobody owes you any obligation to pay you interest. The only obligation management owes you is to run the company profitably and give you your share of that profit as declared by the board. So you hold your equity stake in perpetuity. You can only exit by using the platform of the Nigeria Stock Exchange to exchange to somebody who is willing to buy. And when you don't see a willing buyer, you hold that security forever. But if you see a willing buyer, you can exit you know, you can exit and hand over to that person. So that's the nature of um, equity investment. And in equity investment, there are two possible um, interests or three possible interests for the investor. Number one, you could be investing to have a board seat or take the control. Just like uh, Tudela invested to take a significant stake in First Bank and take maybe a chairmanship board position in the board. So why he was doing that, no other consideration mattered to him. The second interest could be investing for regular dividend payments, which will come from the operating profit the company is able to make year in, year out from their operations. Thirdly, your interest could be that if this company does well, is profitable, expands, creates a good goodwill, creates a good branding, that all these factors will lead to a higher demand for the shares of this company. And once there's a higher increased demand for the shares of this company, that the share price will increase. And when share prices increase, that you will benefit from this capital appreciation. But nothing is guaranteed with equity investments. No, around these factors, nothing is. The only one that might be guaranteed is that if you buy up to 10% of 
of the stake of the company, you can inform the regulatory authorities and demand for a board seat. And personally, when you get to the board seat, you can now make decisions that can help in a better running of that company, which is what Access Bank did. In 2001, Access Bank was a listed company that was doing poorly, had never paid dividends since listing. It took Ike Mokede and Herbert Wigwe uh, to approach the Intercontinental Bank then to borrow money and buy a controlling stake of Access Bank on the floor of the Sanjas Exchange. And when they got to the bond, they have transformed Access Bank that to a point that today it is the biggest bank by assets, it is the biggest bank by customers based in the Nigerian banking system. But when it comes to fixed income securities, with fixed income securities, it's basically debt, debt instruments, IOU. What we are saying here is that I, Okudini, wants to borrow money from you, Ajibola. I will state the amount of money I want to borrow from you. I will state how long I will hold that money. And I will state the interest rate I'm willing to pay, which is the price for holding that money. I can also state the frequency in which I'll pay the interest to you. If the documents, if the agreement, if the terms are okay between the both of us, we sign a debt agreement and I'll transfer money and I expect to get my principal at maturity and get interest paid to me as agreed in the terms. So debt instruments or what fixed income instruments are basically, I will use basically debt instruments. Every form of fixed income security is just a variant of debt, of IOU, be it treasury bills, be it commercial papers, be it fixed deposits, be it bonds, be it sukuk, they are all debt instruments. They are basically IOUs, and the terms in the IOU is um, applicable here. So when we talk about fixed income securities, it could come in the form of a treasury bill. A treasury bill in this case is the treasury is associated with debt instruments issued by government. And when you say treasury bill, means that it's a money market debt borrowing. A money market debt borrowing in the sense that the, the tenor is less than one year or max one year. The tenor of Treasury bill max is 364 days. So when it becomes a government money market borrowing and it's structured as treasury bill, it then means that the government is the one borrowing and that the government said they will pay interest upfront in order to pay you principal at majority. They use that to fund budget deficits. So treasury bills are borrowings from government. But the, the, the differentiating factor between treasury bill and most other debt instruments is that interest is paid upfront. And that is why it called discounted instruments. So what you pay, what you actually put in on the one when you are investing is a discounted value. You back out the interest element and pay the discounted value to receive, to receive the principal value at maturity. 
But treasury bills are also very liquid instruments and highly traded instruments in the market. The treasurers of banks, the treasury department of banks, most asset management firms, most pension fund administrators, uh, most insurance companies, most stockbroking firms are active players on daily basis in the treasury bills market. A commercial paper is akin to a treasury bill. The only differentiating factor between a treasury bill and a commercial paper is that the commercial paper is issued by corporations, usually blue ship corporations. They are also discounted instruments. Interest is also paid upfront and is valued the same way as treasury bills. The maximum tenor for a, treasury, a commercial paper is 270 days. And today, evidence of holding is just credited to your CSCS, just like shares, ordinary shares are credited. Your CSS statement can hold all your financial assets, equities, bonds, commercial papers. Treasury bills are also held in electronic form in a repository, but not CSCS, but what they call S4. We have two depositories in the Nigerian financial system, the S4 manned by CBN and the CSCS uh, PLC, which is an independent company that serves as central clearing and settlement um, firm for, for the entire capital market. Now, bonds are also debt instruments, but with a longer maturities. Usually the minimum um, the minimum tenor for a bond, for it to be called a bond, is usually five years. And both the federal government and corporations and state governments have been issuing bonds. As a matter of fact, the bonds market is far, far bigger than the equities, equities market in the Nigerian financial system. And the volume of bonds both FGN and corporate bonds, traded daily and monitored by the FMDQ is in excess of between 300 to 500 billion daily. And some days it gets up to 1 trillion in value of traded securities in the bonds market. Now, the bond market, like I said, is usually long-term. We have bond minimum of five years and could be in perpetuity. We have an assets bank that have issued a perpetual euro bond. What that means is that they will never pay back that bond as long as they keep existing and they would um, um, keep paying coupons every six months. Now we have federal government bonds that have tenants up to 50 years. We have like 40 years bonds, 30 years bonds. So depending on your um, preference, you can determine the maturity of bonds that you will want to invest in. But one thing about bonds is that it has blue risks, it's less volatile, and you are guaranteed of your principal. And you know what the coupon returns will be. Usually, most bonds issued in Nigeria has fixed coupons. We hardly see floating rate bonds here. What we see are fixed rate coupon bonds. That means that if you are, if the bond is paying you 
15%, it will pay 15% every year to maturity of that bond. Now, that's about the plain Valina bond. We could also have bonds that have embedded options. Options like a call option. We saw a Fidelity Bank issue a seven-year bond with a call option at year five. They retired that, but the bond was issued at 16.25% coupon rate. In 2020, when interest rates crashed, they took advantage of the interest rate crash to refinance that bond, call back the existing bond that was running at 16.25%, paid back all the bondholders, issued a, a new 10-year bond at 7.25, and doing a cost savings, a, a interest cost savings of almost 10%. So you could have bonds that have core options. A core option means that the issuer, the issuer can retire that bond before maturity. You could also have a put option in which the bondholder can sell back the bond to the issuer at a particular time that is determined at the time the bond was being conceived. So that's about bonds generally. But when you are going to issue a bond or when you are going to buy a bond or invest in a bond, you don't just buy into um, a bond because the yield is high and all about. There are risks involved in bond investment. Number one core risk is default risks. Who is the one issuing this bond? Who, is it? Who am I borrowing money to? What is his pedigree? What is financial health? What is capacity to pay back this money? Normal credit assessment that a commercial bank will do before they grant loans is done on an issuer. In fact, the market is so regulated, the Nigerian capital market is so regulated that for everybody who wants to issue bonds, you are required to obtain two credit ratings from two independent rating agencies. And once you present credit ratings, if it's rated from triple A to double A to single A to A minus, A plus, and thereabout, you as an investor can determine the minimum rating grade that it cannot go below. At a certain point, at a certain uh, uh, ranking level in the rating, a particular bond or issuer can be regarded as junk, a junk issuer. So the credit rating helps you to appraise the capacity of the bond issuer. And for bond, for issuers that have near perfect rating scores or perfect rating scores, their interest cost is always lower because the risk premium is lower. So, and the, the cost of borrowing for them is always lower and always near to the risk-free rates. Even Sovereigns are rated. So based on the rating scores you have, a sovereign can be borrowing at a cheaper rate than a particular uh, another sovereign. For instance, Benin Republic, as small as they are, is borrowing at a cheaper rate, a lower cost of funds than Nigeria. So that is the effect of the, the rating scores that, you know, that are doing. So by and large, Fixed income securities are for me ID investment options for people who have 
low risk appetite. And for people who de demand um, determined cash flows or who want determined cash flow patterns. And for certain investors who are in a particular age bracket, from age 55 and above, you should minimize your exposure to the equity investment option and possibly look towards the fixed income instruments. And the yield on our fixed income securities is not that bad. The average yield covers between nine and nine percent and thirteen point five percent. So a return of thirteen point five percent, if you're able to compound those returns over ten years or five years period, you have a significant and huge cash outflow at maturity, assuming you reinvest everything. So if I am able to get a return of 13% and it's guaranteed for 10 years, so why venture into an equity portfolio where I'm not even sure of 10%? And if you compare, if you do a statistical analysis and compare the returns from the fixed income investors and Nigerian equity investors in the last 10 years, even if you use the index as a guide, you find out that those who have done fixed income securities have done better than those who have done equity. So, I, I, and, and surprisingly, the fixed income market is almost dead to retail investors. We don't see much retail investors participation in this space. Rather, it is only the institutional investors, especially the pension funds and the banks that play heavily in this market. From PENCOM data, about 75%, over 75% of all pension assets, pension assets today sit, sit at about 13.5 trillion naira. 75% of that 13.5 trillion naira is invested in FGM bonds alone. And um, most of the trading income that we see the bank post in the in, in their quarterly reports comes from active trading in, in the fixed income securities market. And those is a, then that is a significant income line for most of the banks. So if the banks, the PFA see value, how come retail investors are not seeing value also? What is the problem? What can we do to address interest in the fixed income market? I think that's where we should be getting to us to see that we have more and more retail investors participating in this market. Excellent. Thank you very, very much, sir, for that detailed education about fixed income securities. Um, thank you. Uh, the, the people listening to this podcast are lucky because you, you don't get these details um, generally like that. Thank you very much for that, sir. Now, for the retail investors, one reason why I want to give an excuse for them, why they, they might not be participating so much in fixed income, uh, the fixed income market might be that, you know, the capital required to buy these FGM bonds, to take part in some of these euro bonds are quite exorbitant. Are there schemes or are there ways by which even retail investors can pull funds together or can still partake in bonds despite this high capital constraint? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I agree that the primary option for FGM bonds um, is usually 50 million. 
that does not mean if you have less than 50 million, you cannot participate. You can. You can. Now, like I said, the, there's an active secondary market for these fixed income securities. So if you are interested in investing in the bond, um, and you know what yield, what your expected yield is, so you can go shop around, call your broker, call your, your bank treasurer, because uh, to a great extent, bankers at the branch levels don't understand the, the dynamics of trading in the fixed income market with all due respect. It's only those at the treasury decks, which is only situated at the head office. So if you have access to the sales or treasury sales, then they can always give you quotes. They give, provide quotes of all available securities they can deal on. They always give you your, their bid and ask prices and bid and, ask, um, bid and offer quotes. So if you know your expected yield and you see from the runs available, any yield that uh, um, um, is appealing to you, can always make a dive. Now, for as low as 1 million naira, 2 million naira, you can actually buy shares. You can actually buy bonds. And these bonds are also becoming, um, 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 they are also listed in Nigeria Stock Exchange and they are also being traded. So once we have begin to see demands from investors, liquidity will be created. Liquidity will be deepened and we'll see more retail investors participating. Any retail investor that wants to, to participate in the FGM bonds can always approach an investment firm. In my firm, who enable and assist investors to buy as little as one million naira. And if you even on the stock exchange trading platform, you can buy as little as one million or less than one million even from the market, depending on what the offer size is. So um, I think it's the interest. Whether it is possible, it is indeed very possible. Also, in the case of euro bonds, euro bonds, you know, is um, a bond issued in a currency other than the local currency. And it, it is an international, international, an internationally issued security of London, of, and the clearinghouse is what we call euro clear. So for such securities, the standard price to play from, to open a euro clear account is $200,000. But if you don't have $200,000, what most firms do is that they buy bulk and break the bulk. They can now, from the pool they have, they have bought into their box, they can give you $5,000, $2,000 at a particular yield. The key thing is that you know the yield you are buying at. It will, it will be stated that you have investment advice that have bought this at this yield. And, and, and Every six months at the coupon frequency, you get your coupons paid to you directly into your account in dollars, not in naira. So, um, yes, the standard prices we all see everywhere is stated at $200,000 or 50 million naira for local NGM bond. But it's not always true that you cannot, in the secondary market, beyond uh, um, after the primary market, in the secondary market, for odd loss, odd loss sizes, for small sizes, you can indeed trade. And apart from the FGM bonds, we also have specialized bonds like the corporate bonds, um, Dangote Flower Mills, Access Bank, UBA, um, and several other corporates have bonds they've issued. And when they are issuing these bonds, they determine the minimum investment amount 
And most times for corporate bonds, the minimum investment amount is usually 5 million, not 50 million. Even FTN, MTN issued a bond last year, the minimum investment amount was 5 million. So for most corporate bonds, it's not 50 million. You know? So this, yes, invest, retail investors have good opportunities to buy into the bonds market. And where you think that investing in bonds is too sophisticated or you want to lend the rope, you can indirectly invest in the same bond instrument by using a bond fund or a fixed income fund. Most asset management firms now have bond funds and fixed income funds and euro bond funds. They max the complexities involved in bond valuations and the price computations and data price and claim price and settlement and all that. They max all that for you and just provide to you a bond price, a fund price, and that you can see and buy. I say, when you buy, say, okay, these social units have been allocated to you. But the underlying assets for that bond funds are composites of different fixed income securities of different maturities, different, different issuers and all that. And most of the bond funds and fixed income funds belongs to what we call the collective investment schemes. And for every invest, collective investment schemes to operate in Nigeria, it must first obtain a SEC license as an asset manager, as a fund and portfolio manager, and also a SEC license for that particular fund. If particular asset manager can run multiple funds, it can have up to 10 funds in with an asset manager. But for each of those funds, you must obtain a separate license for it. And before SEC will grant you a license, SEC would have looked at your bond term sheets, the assets you want to include in the fund, the strategy for purchases, the cost structure, the um, um, equity composition of the fund manager, um, and all that before it's approved. The key thing, the primary role of SEC is investors' protection. That's a core role of SEC, investors' protection. So once they review any fund and it seems that uh, an investor's rights and privileges will not, will not be well protected, they will not license that fund. So thank you very much for that education one more time, sir. Um, you you mentioned about the, some services that your firm can offer, which is like helping people buy bonds. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about the firm you presently work with, which is Cowrie Asset Management and some services you offer and how clients, how potential clients can get in touch with you? Okay. Um, I currently work with Cowrie Asset Management Limited. We are a senior vice president. Now, Career Asset Management is, operates, operates a group structure and we have subsidiaries. So we have the Carry Treasurers Limited, which, is, uh, which has funds and portfolio management license from SEC. And within this license, we provide uh, wealth management services, private banking, portfolio management, mutual funds, you know, um, uh, mutual funds and investment advisory, estate planning. So these are all services we will provide under our world uh, management and uh, asset management license from SEC. Then we have um, um, 
the Carry Securities Limited. Now, Carry Securities Limited have a broker dealer license from SEC to provide services in um, securities trading and brokerage services. And that is that firm is a member of Nigeria Stock Exchange on the NGX now. Then we also have um, the Carry Asset Management, which has an issuing house license, underwriting license, um, and venture capital license from SEC. With that license, we provide um, issuing house services to corporate entities, um, structured finance, um, um, corporate restructuring, majors and acquisition, underwriting of new issues. I hope we understand what underwriting is. Underwriting is, is a service provided to ensure that the primary offer does not fail. So the underwriter will undertake to pay the issuer the complete money he's looking for. And why now take that book and sell to the public? So underwrite, before you become an underwriter, or you can underwrite any public issue in Nigeria, you must have an underwriting license from SEC that we have. And then also venture capital um, management. So if you if firm that um, um, you want to go into venture capital and you want a firm that could help you structure it and manage it in a proper way, you could just talk to us. So these are, they also have Cal Realty um, Limited that provides um, realty advisory and real estate investment, property development, facility management, and everything that you think to, you want to do in the real estate space. We'll have a subsidiary that does all that for you. So that's an option who Carl is and these this various subsidiaries that we have. But one thing that we, we have in Carl is that we believe in populating our team with people who have knowledge, who have passion, who are open-minded, who are solution-driven. And we'll also make sure that our services are technology-driven. For instance, uh, our asset management and, and securities trading product, our clients can trade or view or interact or execute all transactions from the comfort of, the, comfort of their homes wherever they have an internet access. And it's becoming given that we provide or we service clients how they want to be serviced and where they want to be serviced. So we believe that customer is king and we'll do everything to create value and ensure that we help improve your financial health. Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with us today. It's been a very, very productive time. I've certainly learned a whole lot. Um, just before we let you go, I know we've taken quite a lot of your time. Um, do you have any final words or any words of advice for any retail investor listening to this podcast? Yeah, I, what I, I can advise I will give to retail investors is that um, um, achieving your investment goals is possible. Achieving financial independence is possible. And retiring early to a point that your, your passive income can take care of your lifestyle need, can take care of your lifestyle is also possible. But to be able to get to that point, you need to play the long-term game. You need to be consistent 
and in saving and investing in what you properly understand, in securities you properly understand. You need to invest then in learning about the financial assets and financial markets and not show your investment with a view to achieving that reserve amount that can generate passive regular cash flows that can fund your lifestyle, lifestyle that you have dreamt about. Yes, you can create a, a wealth portfolio that can service your lifestyle, depending on what lifestyle you want. But before you start investing, have a plan. Determine what their future plan, what their future expenses is likely to be, and then know how much you need to set aside every day, every month, every year towards achieving that target. But it's feasible and it's achievable. Thank you very, very much, sir. We've really had a nice time having this chat with you. Um, hopefully some other time we can uh, bring you back to the podcast uh, to have some further conversations but thank you very much for your time today sir I'll be always available it is something I would I would love to do because I freely got I should freely give thank you <laughs> thank you very much thank you.